Hi, good morning, Rhythm City, Nairobi. So good to be with you this morning and sharing week one in this series of Vision Builders. Uh, this has always been a very significant time in the life of the church every year, and I'm very expectant to see what God does throughout the whole month, both over the next two weeks and towards the back end of the month where we take up a mighty offering to the Lord and a commitment for the next 12 months to go beyond the operational areas of church and into those areas of vision that God is calling us to press into. And I'd love to send love from Jamie, Elsie and Georgie as well. Uh, it was so good for me to be able to see you all in December. Uh, I still feel so full and rich after our time together. And I can't wait for that to be completed once my girls can come over and see you in May, which is just about three months away, which has gone super fast. Um, and just on that note, uh, we are going to be bringing with us uh, around 15 people at the moment from Newcastle. Um, and before we land in Nairobi, uh, we're going to be spending uh, about five or six days in Dubai just getting a sense for the city again and committing the church plant there uh, into the hands of God afresh. And uh, I would hate to do that without throwing an invitation to you. Uh, if you have the means to uh, get yourself there and cover some accommodation, we'd love uh, to invite you to be a part of that. If you would love to catch the heart for that location as well, or if God's speaking to you about that in any way, we'll be there from about May the 6th till the 13th when we fly down to Nairobi. Uh, but you can talk to Pastor Kevin or Sharon about that in further detail. Uh, today, I have the privilege to share with you the word that I believe God has given us for our church family in 2023. Uh, why do I do this every year? Well, this is not something that I just pick out of the preacher's handbook it's not something that I just listen to some um, prophetic person on TV in the States and get what they're saying. This is the culmination usually of me inclining my heart to the Lord over the previous three or four months to see what God is saying to us. Um, just like it says, if I just switch devices here for a second to the old paperback device, uh, when the Spirit was writing letters to the church in Revelation, each one ended with this. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. I think that is just a profound uh, statement and admonition because I believe the Spirit is still speaking to his churches. Uh, and usually in around October, I just get a, a little sense, which is what happened to me this year yet again, just a little sense of a whisper of what God might be saying. And then over October, November, December and January, that escalates into what I feel is almost like carrying um, a, a child within me. It's something that I need to bring forth, which helps shape and form us as a community for the remainder of the year. And over time, I've learned not to take what God is saying lightly. Um, each year, it is proven to be profound beyond what we even knew when we first share the word uh, about how God outworks that in our lives. Uh, for those of you who have been around long enough in 2020, 
We felt the Lord, the word God gave us for the year was the year of bold faith. And in February 2020, there was not really anything in the natural that required a significant amount of bold faith. It was business as usual. A month later, the world gets turned upside down and all of a sudden we are in the fight of faith of our lives. Uh, the year after, it was in 2021, it was the year of the return, coming back to God and how he always wanted us to be with him and to function on the earth and in the church. And that was really around the thought of the New Reformation, which I've spoken about and will continue to today. Uh, last year was probably the weirdest of all, 2022, where I heard the Lord say rhythms of rest. Uh, we had our name change with our church into a new day. Um, but that word rest uh, only became apparent to me really towards the end of the year, as I mentioned in the message over the new year period, um, that a lot of people were significantly more tired than usual. And I remember reflecting on that. We talked about uh, at the beginning of last year how Timothy Keller said that the trauma of 9-11 only hit New York City two years after the event. And I feel like I, I, I sort of spoke about that out of um, revelation, but not out of experience. And I feel like that is exactly what unfolded for us over 2022. I even spoke to my doctor um, this week and I said something along the lines of that to him that a lot of people were tired. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes almost and a lot of pain in his eyes. And he said, I almost quit. And I've reduced my hours. And he owns the practice and was a picture of strength uh, before. But this is a continued reality and it's something that will remain in us. That's the thing about these words for the year. They remain in us as a community forever. They become part of us. Uh, so this morning, I'm not even just speaking to individuals, but I'm speaking into the very heart of the church, trying to deposit what God is saying to us into the fabric of who we are as Rhythm City that God has called us to. And so this year, I'm excited and, and expectant and have a sense of weightiness about what God has shown me as much as ever before. And here it is. Uh, let me just get straight to it. The word that I feel like God has given us for 2023 is this, revival in the Reformation. Revival in the Reformation. And so I want to unpack today and next week, a little bit about what I sense that is going to look like for us over the coming 12 months. Now, as I share today, I know this is on a video. Um, can't wait, as I said, to be in person and to be able to do this in person more and more. And so thank you for tracking with this. But I want to encourage you, could you get your phones out? Um, get a notepad or pen out. And I would love to, even this week, but every single week this year, I have a conviction that how we engage with the word on a Sunday is going to determine whether or not it leads to us living different lives on Monday morning. And so I don't want this just to be something you watch today on the screen. Uh, picture me there, right there at AIRC on the stage, uh, engaging with this word. I want this word to become part of us. I want it to become part of you. I want you to see this and feel this and sense this as clearly as I do for our church in this time. And so today it's going to be quite conceptual and I'm going to introduce some terms and speak prophetically about the times we're living in. Uh, by now you should know that I love to do that. I just don't want to teach you systematically 
um, through teaching plans, but I want to help us understand what are the times we are living in and how do we live accordingly, according to God's word, according to the, the prophetic sense that he have for, has for us. How do we make disciples in this time? And so that uh, admonition from Revelation, those who have ears, listen to what the Spirit is saying and understand my prayer is that for you. And that happens as we engage with the Word. Write down things that stand out. Write down things that don't stand out. Um, and, and as you engage, God breathes and God shows us what He is saying. And so before we go any further, let's pray. Um, before we turn to Ezekiel 37 verses 1 to 14, the Valley of Dry Bones, which is the scripture that God has clearly deposited uh, in my heart for this theme. Uh, revival in the Reformation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your faithfulness throughout the years, uh, obviously throughout the ages, but even just looking at the past few years that we have been journeying together as a church. Lord, you have been faithful. Lord, you continue to provide your word year after year. You continue to lead us. You continue to guide us. Lord, you've kept us in a global upheaval called covid uh, and here we are today in a brand new year, God, and we give it to you. And we come and we say, speak to us, Lord. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts that we would know the message, uh, the word that you are calling us to cling on to, to allow to form us and shape us as a community this year. God, I pray, have your way today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's read from Ezekiel 37. Verses 1 to 14, it's quite a chunk, but wow, what a passage this is. It says this, The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. There was, they were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. Love that song that we sang earlier, <laughs> that he's going to make us live again. Uh, I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. I can only, hearing that right now, you can hear that, imagine that sound. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. Then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, 
a great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying we have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Wow, what a desperate place to be. Therefore, prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. O my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I'll put my spirit in you and you will live again and return home to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. Oh my goodness, what a powerful passage. Now to understand Old Testament prophecies, it is almost impossible to do so without understanding the historical context of the situation into which that prophet spoke a particular message. Now, those of you on the pastor's communication WhatsApp, that's why I sent to you the little snippet from a commentary uh, to give you the historical background uh, about this passage. Now, Ezekiel, as you might have read, is prophesying to the people of Judah who had been taken into exile by the Babylonians. Now, this was prophesied by a number of uh, the Old Testament prophets, and it was a result of a history of idolatry uh, in Israel and particularly by the leaders, the rulers of Israel, out of the many kings that rose and fell uh, after David and Solomon, Saul, David and Solomon, very few of them were good kings. Many were evil kings and led the nation away from God. And as a result of that, the judgment of God came upon them and he prophesied that they would be taken into exile into Babylon. The northern kingdom, Israel, were taken to Assyria, never to return. The southern kingdom, Judah, taken into Babylon. And so uh, we, we, we read of what was left. Let me just summarize one paragraph that we read in that commentary introduction that describes what was left of Jerusalem and Judah once the Babylonians had finished with them. It said the city of Jerusalem was then torn down and burned with most of the remaining inhabitants of the land being carried off into exile. Only the poorest of the poor remained, struggling without skills or resources to scratch out a living from the land. If you imagine the kind of doomsday scenario painted in movies like The War of the Worlds or Terminator, Terminator for me, uh, in which society, as we know it, had, has been reduced to rubble and ash and a few shell-shocked human beings remain, desperately trying to keep themselves alive among the ruins, then you won't be too far off the mark of what life must have been like for those who remained in Judah. Just substitute the fearsome Babylonians for the Martians or the cyborgs and you get the picture, says um, Ian Jugid. So that's the picture back in Israel. Total devastation. Uh, these world powers in the day were as if a, a group like ISIS were not only the terrorists, but also the rulers, the, the key power. Horrendous stuff. Um, and the rest of the people of Judah were now taken away into exile as the prophecy 
says, if I go back to that, it says that they said um, uh, that, um, sorry, where are we? Uh, they talked about uh, the, the, how, how desperate they were. They said uh, they that, that Israel was saying, here it is, we have become old dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. They found themselves in Babylon with no land of their own, with no temple to worship God in. And as this prophecy describes dead bones, not freshly dead bones, bone, bone, like bodies that are dead to the point where all flesh is gone, they've been dead, and all hope in the natural does seem lost. But then comes Ezekiel. And after, in the book of Ezekiel, before chapters chapter 33, it is uh, messages of judgment saying, guys, you're going to go into exile. The judgment of God's coming. Uh, chapter 33 talks about Jerusalem falling. But then afterward, the, the tune changes and the, prof the prophetic words begin to be to the people in exile. And they are messages of hope. Uh, messages of hope saying that, Although this has happened to you, God is faithful and his love is towards you and he will indeed bring you out of Babylon back to your land and you will inhabit the land again and rebuild the temple of God. And that, of course, happened. And, and, and when Persia dismantled the Babylonians, King Cyrus ended up giving permission to the Jews in Babylon and said, you can go back. Uh, and we read of the return stage of Israel's history, which is a, a wonderful stage. But right here, the people that God uh, had Ezekiel speak to were the people in exile who were absolutely down and out. And so what does this mean for us today? If that was what was happening there and then, what does that mean for us here and now? Well, this is where I want to get a little bit prophetic for the times in which we live. I believe that, that the church over the past two to three decades and what we have become uh, up to 2019 could adequately be represented and pictured by this valley of dry bones image. Uh, in Australia here, uh, we are living in a culture that has moved from being what um, some voices describe as a Jerusalem culture, a Christian nation where worship of God is allowed and celebrated and it's a cultural norm to a Babylonian culture where we are not a Christian culture in Australia by any means. We are not only post-Christian, I believe we are now anti-Christian, that there is a uh, real opposition to the Christian faith and to believers, particularly believers in prominent positions in society. And at first it was subtle in that post-Christian era. It was just a moving away from. It was um, when we move from Jerusalem to Babylon, it goes from having God at the center of society to pushing God to the margins of society. And as we became post-Christian in Australia, God was pushed to the margins. Now I believe that God is trying to be pushed out altogether and it has become quite aggressive and fears. Uh, that has led to the church retreating over the past two or three decades, just like those shell-shocked Jews who were taken captive by the Babylonians. I believe that our culture has shell-shocked the church. We have lost our witness in Australia. We have lost our voice. 
We have lost our passion. We have lost our worship in a big way, like I said. And, and church is optional. When we're at church, it's lifeless. Um, it, it went at the point of 2019, I believe it was a very low point for the life of the church. Uh, in Kenya, it's slightly different, but it's not too different. And I think the result is the same. There is a digital Babylon where through screens and social media and various ways, the Western anti-Christian culture is making its way into Kenyan culture. I've observed that over a number of years. But we also have some of the Christian culture that is culturally Christian. Um, And one of the errors of cultural Christianity or living in Jerusalem can be a false piety where we have it. It looks like it's all Christian, but if you look under the surface, surface, it's false and there is not a church that is alive and well. And you might say, there are generalizations. And, and I would like to su- suggest that generalizations of the times are always necessary because even in the Jews that were exiled, not every single person had turned away. I'm sure not every single person had lost hope in God. I'm sure not every single person was spiritually dead. There would have been uh, a number of people. There were people like Daniel, who were, uh, which we'll talk about later, uh, who were a light and salt to that place. Um, but generally, the state was that they were hopeless and they were as good as dead, according to the prophet. And I would say that the same is true in, in Australia and in Kenya, that although there is great stuff that's happened in the past couple of decades, many of us have come to Christ in that season and God has moved. Generally speaking, when we compare what the church is like come 2019, 2020 with the book of Acts and the New Testament blueprint, I would like to suggest that the Valley of Dry Bones image is not too far of a stretch. But this is what I want to talk about today, that I believe that what God is calling the church to in this COVID and post-COVID era to see the church rise up again off the valley floor is that he is calling us to a new reformation and a new revival. And we have spent the last two years talking about a new reformation. I believe what God has been speaking to us, he has been saying, guys, it's time to assess how we have been doing church. It's time to realize that maybe what we were doing wasn't quite what God had planned. It wasn't his best and it wasn't leading to the fruit that we so drastically and passionately desired to see. But this year, the reason that this word is so significant, it's not just um, part of what God is doing in the New Reformation, but I believe it is part two of what God is doing in this new era. So what God is doing in this new era is a new thing. And I believe what God is speaking to me, to other people around the world and to us as a church is that the two elements of the new thing that God is doing is a new reformation. And now this year he is adding part two, which is a new revival. And both of these, in my opinion, are as significant as the other. And we need both of them. And I'm going to unpack a little bit about that. So to to help us understand this new reformation, this new revival, 
I need to talk about God's pattern for new things. See, when you look at scripture, when God does something new or when he creates something new or he, he, he um, brings forth something new, there is a pattern. There is two steps in this process and I think it's important for us to understand. I'm calling it a new reformation and a new revival. As I've mentioned, some people are calling it a new era. But however you interpret what God is doing, it is a new season. If you want to sum up all that God is doing in COVID, it's Isaiah 43, 18 to 19. But forget all that. The good things that have happened in the church gone by, not just the bad things, the good things, forget those. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. For I'm about to do something new. New, 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 new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? That would be my message to any believer on the world. God has begun a new thing. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. And so this new, even this year, I know it's a new year, but it feels like it is a brand new season for us as a church. It feels like we have been plowing and tearing down and pruning for about two or three years. And this year seems brighter. This year, I feel the smile of heaven. This year, I think there is going to be fruitfulness and abundance over our churches. And even as we were praying last week as a leadership team in both Newcastle and Nairobi on Zoom, Amunga was telling me your uh, incredible creative maestro there in Nairobi. He said, I just had this word come into my mind as we were praying and it was kainos. And he said, I don't know what that means, but he Googled it. And it was the Greek word for new, for fresh. And I think that's just a powerful image of what God is doing and what he is continuing to do in this time. And so as we explore scripture, we see God create new things uh, often in two phases. Firstly, God forms something new. And secondly, God fills that new thing. Firstly, God forms, and secondly, God fills. Take the valley of dry bones. Uh, what a beautiful picture seeing, it says in verse 7, that the, the complete skeleton is put together. But a complete skeleton by itself is only really good for Halloween. Uh, that's not an endorsement of Halloween, it's just a comment. Um, but then it says that the, uh, the muscles, skin, and flesh came on. Now we're starting to look like some kind of mannequin in a hospital uh, that has a skeleton and some flesh on it. But I tell you what, that's still not a human being. Uh, it required the breath, the filling of life from God to become a living creature. We see the same pattern when God created humankind in the first place. Genesis 2.27, it says, Then God formed the man from the dust of the ground. But only then, it says, he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. It required the man to be formed and filled in order for life to come. What about the temple? Uh, in the first temple in the Old Testament, uh, it says that they built the temple uh, David, Solomon, they built the temple. They brought the treasures in. But at 2 Chronicles 5, there was still no Ark of the Covenant in there. It was a building, but it had no life. 
And then we see in verse 13 and 14, it says this of 2 Chronicles 5, the trumpeters and singers perform together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals and other instruments, they raise their voices and praise the Lord with these words. He is good and his faithful love endures forever. At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud. The glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. That building needed not just treasures, not just grand uh, design, but the ark, the presence of God to make it the place of worship that God had called us to, called it to. So much. What about Mark uh, 2.22? No one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the wine would burst the wineskins and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskin. No use pouring out revival if there's no wineskins to handle the new wine. God first wants the wineskin, the new reformation, so he can bring the new wine, the new revival. I think it is profound, the timing of God in that he spent, gives us two to three years focusing on a new reformation, the forming. And now he says, now I want to fill what you are creating. Just powerful. Uh, the book of Acts, obviously God had formed the people of God. He had formed the church, but he said, don't go anywhere. Wait in Jerusalem and don't go anywhere until you receive power. And so it says that uh, in Acts 2, 1 to 2, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. They were together. God had formed them. They were there. They were ready. Then suddenly there was a sound of from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. People, this new era, God is first forming or reforming. Hope you see what I did there. Hope you get the point that I'm trying to make here. God is reforming us. He has been reforming us. We will continue to cooperate with God in his reformation of us. But now God is reviving us and he's reviving his church. And that word revive comes from two Latin word roots, re meaning again, and I can't pronounce it properly, vivre, um, meaning to live, to live again. Hold on, what did that scripture say in Ezekiel? I will make you live again after I put breath in you. God and that whole passage of Ezekiel is significant for what God is saying to us as a church, bringing a new revival. And I'm seeing this so many places. The first, um, I, I was offline for all of the, the new year break. And the first thing after I'd finished these thoughts, the first thing I saw when I logged onto Instagram was Pastor Phil. You can check it out on his account on the 23rd of January saying, here I am in C3 Palm Springs. I'm going to preach on revival. God's been speaking to me from Ezekiel 37 and the Valley of Dry Bones. I was like, oh my goodness. I think, um, I think God's saying something to his church. Last, uh, even just last night, as I completely finished what I was going to present to you here today, I was doing some searching about this and I found a Bible teacher in Ireland teaching that we need a new reformation and a new revival. I nearly fell off my chair um, hearing that God is speaking to his church. But I think all of that to say the order is important. If you Google 
Reformation and revival, a lot of people say uh, revival comes and then we need to reform and change the way we live. But I don't think that order is right, as I've mentioned. I believe that everything that I just mentioned, all of those examples is to say that God is leading us in right order. He said, reform, get things in order, get your mission straight, uh, get things in order so I can now fill you and bring revival. Okay, just uh, for the last part of this, I want to talk about, just to really help us understand the differences, why do these words matter? Well, as I said, God is speaking to people around the earth about it. Uh, I want to help you catch this and really understand this concept um, so that as we journey over the next year, you're not just wondering, you're not just coming week by week, week to church, seeing what's dished up, but you're tracking with us. You know where we're trying to take you. We know, you know where we're leading, you know where we are walking to and that you are intentionally walking with us. And so let's really explore uh, the differences between this if you haven't already picked it up from those examples, some more differences between Reformation and Revival. Um, Ellen G. White, who was the co-founder of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, just provides a beautiful description for me, the best that I've found about the two. She says this, A revival and a reformation must take place under the ministration of the Holy Spirit. Revival and reformation are two different things. Revival signifies a renewal of spiritual life, a quickening of the powers of mind and heart, a resurrection from spiritual death. Reformation signifies a reorganization, a change in ideas and theories, habits and practices. Oh my God, that's so beautiful. Reformation will not bring forth the fruit of righteousness unless it is connected with the revival of the spirit. Revival and reformation are to do their appointed work. And in doing this work, they must blend. I am so grateful that God wants to add revival to our reformation. You can have reformation. You can have, as I said before, the new wine, wine skins. But if you've got no wine to put in it, it's not, not much good. Or you can have all the wine you like, but if you only have old wine skins, then it's no good. You can't have revival without reformation. You can't have reformation without revival. We need both of them to be at play for the new thing that God has. Another one from Spectrum Magazine says, A very basic understanding of the term revival gives the idea that something is dead, therefore it needs to be revived. And reformation conjures up the image that something went bad and needs to be fixed, improved, or put back together. Very good definition. I've been thinking about it this way, in very simple terms. Uh, reformation is about the great commission. Revival is about the great commandment. The two great instructions that Jesus gave to us. The first one, the, the great commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Oh my goodness, we have tried to do that over the last two to three years. And as I mentioned before, we will continue to do that 
uh, as long as we need to start looking like the body that God is reforming us into. We have been honest and allowed God to um, reveal to us the state of the church through this COVID season. We have come to to terms with the fact that we need to do things a little bit differently and a little bit better. We have come to terms with the fact that we are experiencing a discipleship crisis. We are trying to change our ideas and theories, our habits and practices to make sure that we are making disciples and that we look like the church that God has called us to. We are trying to move away from a Sunday service driven Christianity. Uh, We are trying to move away from a church leader driven spirituality. We are trying to rid the church of the consumerism that has made its way into the church where it's all about meeting needs and um, trying to sell uh, our faith to people and market it to people. We are turning away from the corporate Christianity where it's all about the bottom line and the church growthism that God has, uh, that sorry, that has come in in a not healthy way into the life of the church. Our heartbeat statement, the heartbeat of Rhythm City Church is to be a global family of maturing, spirit-filled followers of Jesus. That came out to summarize what we've been trying to do. Um, The four goals of discipleship, enjoying relationship with God, embodying the image of God, embracing the family of God and engaging the mission of God. That's come out of this. Um, Temple, table, training and technology are the four areas that we feel, the four environments that we want God to Uh, We want to create for God to move and make disciples in our church. That's come from this. And so we have been reforming. We have been trying to think about how do we make disciples in this time? And we will continue to do so. But now God is adding a new revival. He is not just ensuring that we walk into the Great Commission, but he is trying to form within us the Great Commandment. Matthew Matthew 22 Verse 37 to 40, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Guys, we can have temple table training and technology till our heart's content. We can talk about mature discipleship, but until Jesus becomes first place, like like really, not just we say it, but in practice, in emotion, in thought, in our mind, in our heart, and in what we do until God is first place and we love him and people genuinely and foremost beyond our jobs, beyond even um, just our nice nuclear family, until God becomes first First, we will not have the life that will make any of this discipleship stuff matter. Yes, we want to make disciples, but it requires that these disciples, first and foremost, love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Revival is like being born again, again. When we're born again and we put our faith in Jesus... Uh, We experience what uh, theologians call and some scriptures call regeneration, which basically means to that we would when when the Bible says, I think it's in, in Ephesians that we were dead, but God made us alive in Christ. That's regeneration. 
It's the raising of our old self that was dead in sin. And it is God raising us to life in Christ, giving us a new heart and a new spirit so that we can love God. The thing is that things of this world and even good things in this world that take the place above Jesus come into our heart and we lose that love, that, that, that first love, that passion, that worship, that radical following of God that we would do anything, we will go anywhere for him. That sort of just goes down into the, oh, well, that's for times of revival category. As you will hear next week, my heart is that we would live in that place in every season of our life. And it is my prayer this year that we would not just have a church with form and structure, but we would be a church that has life from God. And that's more intimidating. Revival is more intimidating to me than Reformation. Because here's a thought for you. You can control Reformation because it's a God-initiated work of people. In this, that God initiates it. He uses COVID and he speaks to his church and he says, guys, we need to get things right. But then the ball's in our court. We need to do something about it. We're not just waiting for God. We need to make changes. But revival, you can't control revival. Revival is a people-initiated work of God. We can position ourselves. We'll talk more about that next week too. We can cry out. We can uh, put ourselves on the altar before God, but we need him to breathe on us. Only he can breathe on us. We, I can prophesy. People can prophesy, but the breath comes from heaven. I'm not talking about hype. I'm not talking about psyching ourselves up. I'm not talking about human energy. Come on, let's go, guys. Let's live for Jesus. No, I'm talking about the breath of God on us, literally giving us the ability to be alive in him and to love him. Now, just as I am saying a new reformation, and it is a new revival, um, many people, including pastors and leaders, uh, fear the word revival in our day because there have been a lot of great experiences associated with revival in the past, and there have been some not so great experiences of revival in the past. Um, and so I'd like to ask you today, when you hear the word revival, what do you think about? What do you think about? I know there was a day when I thought about revival meetings, long revival meetings, overnight revival meetings. Uh, I'm thinking about those meetings having the manifestation of God's power. I'm thinking about in those meetings, multitudes turning to God. I'm talking, I'm thinking about hollering and shouting. Uh, crying out for God to come upon us to move. I'm thinking about extreme holiness, uh, like burn all your non-Christian CDs, burn your artifacts. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a place for all this. This is not to criticize all, all of that stuff. I'm just thinking about what we traditionally think about revival. Uh, radical exploits uh, and missions, fasting, praying, um, to be honest, one of the negative connotations for me about revival is I, feel, I, think, I think of hard work. I feel like, oh, like I'm right now, I'm sweaty. I'm in, I can't have the fan on because it makes a noise for the recording. It is hot in Australia. It's hard work uh, here right now in some ways. Uh, when I think of revival, I think, oh, 
I need to just lose every bit of joy and good thing and I need to work hard and press into God. What do you think about? Um, chances are, whatever it is that you think about when you think about revival, it's different to what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a new revival. I'm talking about something not just that we've experienced before, but I'm talking about a state of living energized by God that is different, but as powerful as anything that we have experienced. Next week, <coughs> next week, I want to talk very practically. I want to share probably about 10 key attributes of what I think this new revival is going to look like. So please uh, check that out. Without that week, this week won't be the full picture. Both of these combined is what's on my heart for us as a church. And so just to conclude here, uh, here's my, my key thought. Revival can happen in Babylon. Just because we might be in a culture that isn't as fervent or accepting of Christianity as it has been in previous generations, uh, that doesn't matter for me. Uh, the church can still be reformed and revived in Babylon. And in fact, it must be. Uh, despite what happens in society over the next few decades, it's almost irrelevant. What happens in the church is paramount. In fact, I would almost say that the only way an awakening would happen, which is when society is experiences and turns back to God, the only way it can happen on a societal level and we can go back to Jerusalem on a society level is with a church that is reformed and revived. And so Daniel and his friends become our template. How do we live in revival and in reformation in Babylon? And Daniel is our, our guy. He is the guy that just shows us how to live uh, as an exile. He shows us how to have revival. Why and how could he be that model? Because when he was a kid and when his friends were a kid, they grew up in the last revival of Judah under the good king Josiah, who came to the throne at age of eight and that when he turned 20 and through to about 26, made some serious reforms that led to revival in Judah. And so that experience meant that Daniel and his friends could live in Babylon in with a revival spirit. And the reason that we need to be able to do that is this, this next generation is going to be born in Babylon. The next generation of the church is going to be born in Babylon. They haven't lived in a Christian culture. They haven't lived in a season like I came in in the 90s on the tail end of a move of God in the church. They haven't experienced that. And so for the church to be the church for the next generation's sake, we must take the heritage of revival and reform that God has placed in us and that you have experienced and we must usher in and position ourselves for a new reformation and a new revival so that this generation can walk in the ways of God and that the church may move alive and well with strength, even in Babylon in this time. So church, that's where we're headed. It's going to be a good year. Uh, God's going to breathe on us. God's going to continue to form us. But I'm praying uh, that this year that we would be people. I'm praying, would you come with me? Uh, would you come with us? 
Uh, I thank you that you have heard my talk over the last two years and you haven't gone, this man just sounds crazy. Let's just go back to how church used to be. Even if you've thought it, uh, or even if you've said it, you haven't done it. You're still here. And I want to declare to you today that we are going to move into a future and the Spirit of the Lord is going to breathe life on us and we are going to live again. The church is coming out of apathy. The church is coming out of irrelevance. The church is coming out of um, a lack of passion and worship and voice. And we are going to get loud and proud, people. We are going to stand for God. We are going to declare God. We are going to be revived. We are going to make disciples. And we are going to see people come to Christ and see the church come alive in our time. Why don't you stand with me as we pray here to finish And if you want that, if you want this to become part of you, if you want to catch the spirit of Daniel, if you want to catch this new revival, and if you want to be a part, a continuing part of this new reformation, would you close your eyes and would you lift your hands to heaven as I pray for you right here today? Heavenly Father, we thank you for a revival in the reformation. God, we are so grateful that you have spoken to us. We thank you that you're leading us. Lord, I thank you for every single person in the room there in Nairobi. And those watching this who couldn't be in the service across our locations, God, I pray that you would see our response, that you would see the cry of our heart right now, God, and that you would lead us into a place of revival. God, help us know what this new revival looks like. Help us uh, position ourselves for a new revival. God, we want not just to make disciples and to do church in the way that you want us to do church and to be the church how you want us to be the church. But God, we want to be filled with the life, power, passion, and fire that only comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. God, this year I pray that you would set us ablaze. Lord, that you would take the little flickering fire on the inside of us and you would breathe on it and start an absolute wildfire. Lord, I pray that you would move on us, that you would take us, that you would use us And that you would help us stand boldly in Babylon in the times in which we live. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Church, I love you. I pray that that sings deep into your heart over the next week. Don't let go of it. Let it become part of you. And next week, I'm going to be really practical and share about what I think this looks like for us moving forward over the next 12 months. I love you. See you next week.